Okay. Outstanding. Did he do a great job kind of moderating? Yeah. 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 Okay. It was fun, but I, I don't want it to be a mental exercise. Our faith is about facts and living them out. If the fact is that life takes precedence over darn near everything, then do it. It's as simple as that. We can make it as tough as we want. When does it get very difficult? When you are forced by God to make the choice. And I can tell you that that rarely happens to men. He is very gracious. So we need to look for the out. We need to look for that creative solution. And you know who's famous at doing that? The sages of Israel. They were fabulous at it. They would always find those, those ways to get around it. Legal loopholes. Legal loopholes. I mean, we got to kill this guy because we found him with this woman. So they disqualify everybody possible. I mean, did you know the guy ahead of time? Is he one of your friends? Oh, you can't, you can't testify. Oh, are you, you're, you're a third cousin. Well, you're tainted already. You're out of here. You know, that kind of deal. That's right. The Sanhedrin would do everything possible to avoid the death penalty. Why? Because there were wimps? Oh, come on. No. Because they knew that life is precious and that every breath, ruach, it's hand's breath, every breath is a gift from God. And we need to treat it that way. So when we're up against these ethical dilemmas, we need to look and recognize it may not be a dilemma. It may have been presented by the adversary, the Satan, or Hasatan, as a dilemma. Like we're stuck on the horns of a dilemma. When in fact, maybe we're not. So let's look at that. The uh, Delich Hebrew Gospels. We got a whole case of these and you guys bought every stinking one. Unbelievable. This is my last copy of the Delich Hebrew Gospels. Who can tell me why this is a really cool book? There are idioms, Hebrew idioms, teaching us, Gentiles, about these Hebrew idioms. That's great. That's one. What else? And they are very cool. It's a Hebraic story. It's a Hebraic story. And just like our Chumash uh, or our Tanakh or our Torah, whatever it may be, we've got the actual Hebrew on the side translated by an Orthodox rabbi who gave his life to Messiah Yeshua. And then we've got a new English translation on the left side. I am not able to do it yet, but I think once you are able, one of the great things about that is once you are able to read the Hebrew, I think it's, a, it's an interesting thing that sort of changes your perspective based on, because it's different. Like you, you read the English New Testament and you you are perhaps subject to other bias and other things yeah. that, you've ha- that you've heard read into the English. But when you're reading it in a different language, it changes everything and you're prone to use a more Hebraic mindset exactly. when studying the text. Exactly. Exactly. Well, suddenly, uh, I was going to chime in and say that suddenly, you know, guys like Matthew or Matai 
you know, uh, John, Yochanan, suddenly they're not just the guys in the room next to you. They're guys in an ancient Jewish culture. Yes. They're guys with struggles that we've never understood. These are guys who walked with the Master. These are, you know, they're not just the guy down the corner. That's right. They're not Gentiles. They're not. They're Jews. And, 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 it, and the, hearing it in a Hebraic perspective with their, with their Hebrew names, just the Hebrew names alone, will really sort of help to drive that home. Amen. Amen. And they're not Christians. Yeah, and they're not Christians. That's, that's scary. Yeah. It's actually true. We spend so much time trying to relate with them that, I mean, as Johnny said, that's so crazy. How, you realize how unrelated we are to them. Yeah, that's exactly right. There are blessings in the front of this that I think are absolutely extraordinary. So I highly recommend it. If you haven't gotten one, I really want to encourage you to do that. And Chris, we want to thank you for coming. That one's for you. Wow. That's right. That's right. This this is the new uh, leather edition, and if you've washed your hands, I you know you can feel the uh, embossed and uh, unbelievable. Feels good in the palm. Yeah, yeah, it's worth it. Yeah. That's right. Look. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yes. The new Hebrew English. Anyway, um, that's great. So. We are, uh, I'm sorry? You know, as, uh, how does, uh, you know, uh, Carl Phillips. Yes. You know, uh, you know, he's a brother here at Charlotte, but, I mean. He's been in this room. Yeah, when he goes into the Hebrew, and when he breaks down something as simple as Genesis 1. Yeah. It just makes you realize that you need that. You do. And yeah. That mm-hmm. we have been raised on an anemic. Faith. We've been raised on, on not even milk. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'd like us to, uh, tonight, I'd like us to take a look, if we can, at the, uh, at yet another passage in the beginning of the story about our blessed Messiah, Yeshua. So uh, I would ask you to open your apostolic scriptures. I see that Alex has a teeny-weeny copy. Um, tiny, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is a very tiny one. Um, let's, uh, let's open up with uh, the beginning of uh, Matthew, Matthai. We have the uh, Toledot, which we've talked about, right? The generations. And uh, it's cool. After that, we get uh, in the the days of King Hordos, right? Uh, When Yeshua was born in Bethlehem of Yehuda. Uh, and then that's uh, chapter 2, and then we get into chapter 3. In those days, Yochanan the Immerser arose. So that's what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to talk about this uh, leapt in the womb thing that came up in the last hour. Um, I want you to, just to start out, let's get us into uh, Yochanan. 
And um, let's get that. Uh, chapter 1. In verse 19, in this is the testimony of Yochanan. John 1, 19. Did I, did I not tell you that? I did? I did? Yochanan 1, yeah. So I uh, threw you off. Threw you off, yeah. Uh, we have a little rule. Uh, when you hear Hebrew, you turn your head to the right, and you don't cough, but you say... Well, we've said in English, because there may be guys here who don't know. So John chapter 1 and verse 19, that's page 329, if you've got a Bible like mine. And this is the testimony of Yochanan, when the Yehudim sent priests and Leviim from Yerushalayim to ask him, Who are you? He admitted and did not deny. He admitted, saying, I am not the Mashiach. They said to him, Then who are you? Are you Eliyahu? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. They said to him, who are you so that, we may, so that we may bring back an answer to those who sent us? What are you saying for yourself? And he said, quoting, quoting what? Isaiah. Quoting Isaiah, yes or yeah, 40, right? That's right. I am a voice calling in the wilderness. Clear the way of Adonai. As Yeshua the prophet said, the ones who were sent had come from the Prushim. They asked and they said to him, Why then are you immersing if you are neither the Mashiach nor Eliyahu nor the prophet? Who are these three guys? The Mashiach, Eliyahu, or the prophet? Can you tell me, Gentiles, who are these three men that they were waiting for, that they were expecting, and from whence do these references come? The first one. Are you the Mashiach? What does that mean? What's Mashiach mean? Messiah. It does not mean Messiah. What does it mean? It means anointed one, and therefore it means king. king. Okay, so let's get that straight. When you think offering, as in church, here comes the plate, you think animal. When you hear Mashiach, you think king. Because Mashiach means anointed one. And they anointed the king. They anointed prophets too. And they anointed the priests. But the biggie, the Mashiach, he will be king. Alright, so... What does it mean? Are you the Mashiach? What's up with that? What are they saying? Now, this is important, guys. Are you the one that was promised? The one that was promised, the promised Messiah. Yeah. So, here they recognize that Messiah is going to come. So, let's not cut them off at the knees and forget they were looking for Messiah. All right, so that's one. What's the second one? What's Elijah. that with Eliyahu? Elijah, what's up with that? He's one of those. 
Really? Prophesied to return. Yeah. So is that reincarnation? What is that? No, he's going to return. Up. He was caught up in the air. He was caught up. So he didn't die. Like Who walked with God and then was not. That was in our last parashah portion. Good. And Elijah then is typically associated with Messiah, particularly actually at circumcision ceremony and at Passover Seder. So there's a link always with Elijah to Messiah. Why? Because he's prophesied to return before Messiah. He will be the, the forerunner, the herald. He will be the one crying in the wilderness to make straight the paths of the Lord. What does that mean? Prepare. Repent. Aren't you on the path? Make your path straight, man. Get your straight, your walk straight. Stand up and walk right. Yes. Yes. To start to preach about repentance and look, He's coming. Do you want to be ashamed of His coming? You need to get your act together. The King is coming. Get dressed. Stand up. That kind of thing. That's what Eliyahu, that's what Elijah was prophesied to do. Yes. It's very cool. We've got a dual-edged deal here that Yeshua gave us. We'll get into that. And then the, then the last one. And most Christians have no clue here. Are you Mashiach? No. Are you Eliyahu? No. Or are you the prophet? Well, wait a minute. I thought, I thought Elijah was the prophet. He's not the prophet. He's called Eliyahu Hanavi. That means Elijah the prophet. When you say Hanavi, who are you talking about? Elijah. But this prophet is somebody different. Who's this? Deuteronomy 18. There will arise from among you. What does that mean? Can't be a Gentile. Sorry. Sorry, that's what it means. A prophet will arise from among you who is a prophet like Unto me said Moshe Rabbeinu. Moses, our teacher. Good job, guys. Let's try it again. Moshe Rabbeinu. Moses, our teacher. Okay. So, that's necessarily, potentially, someone extraordinarily different from Eliyahu. So, John writes later on, in the revelation of our Messiah about these two witnesses. Maybe it's a witness from the law and a witness from the prophets or in the, in the vernacular from the Torah and the Nevi'im. Maybe these two witnesses would be Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses our teacher, and Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. Could be. Because they were different. And therefore the prophet that Moses talked about would be different than Elijah. Okay. Yochanan answered them and said, I immerse in water. Wow, he didn't say I sprinkle in water. That's amazing. There goes that doctrine. But in your midst stands one whom you do not know. Now what does that mean? 
What does the in, the, in your midst mean? He's already, he's in the he's he knows at that point he's already there. Yeah. How did he know? How did he know that he was already alive? How did he know he was already there? I think the fact that he left in the room, in the room, in the womb, is probably the ultimate and correct answer. But we don't know that yet. Yeah, exactly. He's connected with the boss, and that's what I want you to get here. There's relationships going on that are implied in the text that maybe we're just not seeing because we gloss over it. He hasn't met him. He's talking about him coming, but he says he's standing in your midst. He's standing in your midst right now, which means he knows he's not a kid. He's actually already grown up a bit. Now, that's cool. Because what I wanted to share with you tonight is not anything new. It's just a new perspective. John makes some extraordinary comments. And quite frankly, you'd think he was nuts. Let's look at it. I immerse in water, but in your midst stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, who was before me. But I am unworthy to loosen the strap of his sandal. Tell me, what did John just teach the people? Yes. He's quoting the orthodox line that Messiah was at creation and he's heralding Messiah. Therefore, he's heralding one who's before him. That'll preach, guys. We just talked about the creation story this past Shabbat. We need to make a note of that. So you guys have an inferior version. It's okay. The implication at least is there. I think you can still argue potentially that maybe he was older sure. but had his ministry was sure. after him. Yes. Now, since we could imply that, how would you counter that? How would I counter what you just said? That Yeshua was older than him. But he wasn't older, was he? No! He was at least three, if not six months younger than Yochanan Hamakvil. John the Immerser. So, so, John, yeah. John the Presbyterian. John the Presbyterian, yeah. This, is when, this was in Beit Onya, across the Yarden, where Yochanan was immersing. The next day, verse 29... Yochanan saw Yeshua coming to him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who bears the sin of the world. This is the one of whom I said, After me will come a man that was before me because he was prior to me. Let me read it back. This is the one of whom I said, After me will come a man that was before me because he was prior to me. He is just stating 
these unbelievable theological statements about the Mashiach and his role from eternity. It can't have anything to do with the fact that Yeshua was older. That's right. That's right. I did. Your only option is either A, John was incorrect. Yeah. Or Yeshua was not normal. In our human That's right. That's exactly right. My translation says, after me cometh the man which is preferred before me. Not that he came before me. Well, there is the word that. But then it says, for he was before me. He's preferred before me, but he was before me. So either way, you're, you're going to get the flavor. And I like it. And says, uh, a man with a higher rank than I, yeah. for he existed before. Either way, so you're looking at a pre-existent Mashiach, and you've got... Now, I, I want you to recognize, this is not church doctrine. What are we, what are we learning? What are we hearing? We're hearing Orthodox Judaism. That's what we're hearing. This is an Orthodox Jewish man, and he's a priest. John is a priest. He is a priest, and I personally believe he served one time in the, in the priesthood, in the temple, and told everybody, by the way, I'm, I'm heading out to the desert to herald the coming of Mashiach. I hope you'll come and visit. I don't have a P.O. box yet, but we're working on that. That's right. I'll bring the wine. Gosh, you can have it. I won't drink it. Well, that, that is so interesting that you recognized him, too. How do you... Ah, now that's where we're going. That is what tonight is all about. He recognized him. I did not know him, but rather I have come to immerse in water so that he may be revealed in Israel. Peter has stolen my entire class. He said he probably had some internal leaping like he did before. Well, actually, he has kind of burst the bubble. Did you read my notes? No. I believe him. Do you? Yes. Good. Why? Because his word is his bond. Why? He's a tzaddik. Okay. So that's what I think we're going to conclude. So let's, let's hold it for all the slower ones like me and the rest of us. So I'm, I'm curious. He makes it clear that he doesn't know who it is. And then he sees Yeshua and he seems to know who it is. He says, I did not know him. But rather I've come to immerse in water so that he may be revealed in Israel. That's extraordinary. All right, that's verses 29 through 31. So before we get uh, any further, let me check my little cheat sheet of questions for you. We need to remember that these two had a prenatal encounter, right? We're talking about abortion and everything in the, in the previous hour. These guys had a prenatal encounter, right? He leapt in the womb. He was cognizant that the Mashiach was nearby. And yet, was the Mashiach nearby? He was. Well, but he didn't have his nephesh yet. Didn't matter, <laughs> yes, right? That's not what 
Oh, well, well, it's out the the bottom. I'm not going there now. Do I have time? All I'm trying to point out is the Mashiach was in that womb and young at that point. Extraordinarily young. But his Mashiach was nearby and he knew it. Which brings us back to Peter's thing. How did he know that's the guy? Same kind of feeling. Don't know. But it just occurred to me that it was okay, Jeremiah. He says to <laughs> Jeremiah, <laughs> while you're in the womb, I knew you. Right? <laughs> right? Jeremiah, while you're in the womb, I knew you. Do you not know this? You mean the teacher of I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so tell me, what is what is the what is the familial relationship, by the way? Cousins. They're cousins. Yes. And they didn't know each other. Wait. They are cousins. Right. Who's related? The guys or the gals? The gals. Zacharias and Joseph are not related. Zacharias is of the house of Aaron. That's why John is a priest. Aharon. But Joseph is of the house of David. He is the father of a king. Okay, so I wrote down, they didn't live together. By the way, where did Yeshua live? Uh, North in the Galilee. Where did Aharon and Elisheva live? Southwest of Jerusalem, right? So we're down below the middle of Israel, good. So they didn't live together. They didn't seem to hang together because... One was of the Davidic line, and one is of the Aaronic line. They didn't pray together. They would never pray together. Right? Right. This guy's a priest. He's not going to pray with just anybody. He's praying with priests. And if he's on duty, he's working. All right. So... He didn't recognize Yeshua as the one, but he seemed to be given a word from the Lord as, as to how to recognize him. All right? Well, we're not getting there yet. That's the next class. So the question is, when did he know? Well, let's keep reading. Yep. If you're in your, uh, in your text... We're in Yochanan chapter 1 and verse 32. Yochanan testified and said, I beheld the Spirit in the likeness of a dove descending from heaven and resting upon him. I did not know him, but the one who sent me to immerse in water said to me, The one on whom you see the Spirit descending and resting is the one that will immerse with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I will testify that he is the Son of God. That's cool. Okay. So, yes. This fits really well with the Luke passage because not only 
left, but Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's right. I mean, it's perfect. He would have known what it was like. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Simeon, we studied last time we were looking at the, the birth narrative, had been told by God something about the Messiah. Here's another guy who had been told by God something about the Messiah. And, and John's getting another thing. You will know him. You don't have to worry about those fuzzy things, whether it was an indigested piece of beef or a bad piece of pizza. You're going to know. You're going to know because you're going to see the Spirit descend as a dove. Okay. Question? Um, So, we go to... uh, Let's go to Matthew 3 now, or Matthai 3, and get the, you know, it's a parallel passage, right? Yochanan is described in chapter 3. So we're in Matthai 3, verse 1. In those days, Yochanan the Immerser arose, and he would call out in the wilderness of Yehuda saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is on the brink of arrival. I love this version. For this is the one whom Yeshua the prophet prophesied about, saying, A voice is calling in the wilderness. Here's what that voice is saying. Clear the way of Adonai, make his highways straight. Yochanan's clothing was straight out of Brooks Brothers. Camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and forest honey. Jerusalem went out to him as did all of Yehuda and all of the plain of the Yarden River. They were immersed through him in the Yarden River, confessing their sins. How did they do that? Describe to me what's happening. It's not like your concert B-flat Baptist church. How did it work? Little white robes. Little white robes, yeah. Uh, Make sure the water was pretty warm. Hello, my name is Jose, and I was a senior. But now, I am a Christian. And then he'd grab his nose, put that little rag over his face, and dunk him. That's not how it went. How did it go? Like we do when we, we right. beat our breast. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. So you, you've got a personal confession, right? You've got a public profession of some type about your tshuva. And then, how did the immersion happen? You walk into the water, that's where you make your profession, and then you dunk yourself quickly, three times, all the way under. What are you doing while you're dunking? You're praying. You're praying to the God to whom you just confessed. That's immersion. 
that's the mikvah, yes. I don't know necessarily if the profession or confession was technically public. Um, right. The implication is that if you're there, you're making repentance. Because that's why John critiques them, as we see in a second. Who saying, told you to come out here? You can't just show up and dunk yourself in water and that right. cuts the, you know, that, that's all you got to do. Yes. Like, the life's got to change. Yes, excellent point. Yeah, I, when I say a public profession, you being there is the public profession, right? Well, yeah, yeah, but but the, but the idea is that you don't have to shadow, you don't have to give a sermon, right? I, I think is the point. In that sense, again, it gets back to the idea of doing versus saying. Yes. By being there and doing the back of the self immersion, you are expressing your repentance. Yes. Not by talking. Yes, I uh, I prayed a prayer last night. That's right. And this is what happened in my life. I'm John, and I'm an alcoholic. That's and right. Yeah. So there is an action that's there. When he saw many of the Prushim and the Tzadukim approaching to be immersed, he said to them, children of vipers who enlightened you to be rescued from wrath that will ultimately come. Is that the wrath of Hasatan? The adversary. The adversary. Or is it the wrath of Hashem? Absolutely. Why? How do you know this? Because the wrath of God rests on all men until they've been released. So then produce the fruit that is fitting of tshuva, repentance. Do not think in your heart, saying, Avraham is our father, for I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up sons of Avraham. The axe has already been placed at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. See, I am immersing you in water for tshuva, repentance. But the one coming after me is mightier than I am. Wait a minute. The one coming after me is mightier than I am. Who's he talking about? Whose sandals I am unworthy to carry, and he will immerse you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Why fire? Why is he... I'm I'm reading an Orthodox Jew. I read he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, what do you think about? Give me, Ramez. We've seen this before on Mount Sinai. Ramez means hint, right? So I, I hear a little bit of that and I immediately want to go back to Exodus, right? And on our timeline, Adam, thousand years, Noah, thousand years, flood, thousand years, Abraham, thousand years, David, thousand years, Yeshua, thousand years, Rashi, thousand years, you. So, between Abraham and King David, we've got Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher, on the mountain. And when he went up and brought down the tablets written by the finger of God, what did we have? Fire, tongues of fire, sitting on, yeah, that's, it was the day of Shavuot. 50 days from Pesach, right? So there were tongues of fire on every Israelite, according to the sages, and the Spirit of God was moving among them. Okay. There's also two other possibilities here that brings to mind. One is the idea that um, in addition to washing things, there are some elements that in order to cleanse them from an impurity, you actually put them through fire. fire. Absolutely. And we see that in the apostolic writings. Peter's big on that. The one other scenario that I think First Verses Zion points out in their commentary that's 
possible is they link this verse with the one right after it, implying that maybe the fire is not a good thing. Maybe the fire is not the people who make it through the fire, the people get burned up along the way. Exactly. This is so good. Yeah. That's right. You're going to be thrown in. Thrown in the fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will winnow his threshing floor and gather the grain into his storehouse. Of course he's going to go there, right? Because he's chastising these guys. He wants to make sure they step to the plate. But the chaff he will burn with a fire that will not be extinguished. That, by the way, is a theological statement that we do not believe in annihilationism. People will not go, and be gone, and now there's no more punishment, right? Yep. Burning chaff. Yep. All right, so he has just described, as he did in the other uh, book here, he doesn't know who it's going to be. Right? He's coming. Be ready. Verse 13. Then Yeshua came from the Galil toward the Yarden to Yochanan to be immersed by him. But Yochanan tried to prevent him. Now, I thought he didn't know who he was. He already seen the dove. He didn't see the dove yet. No. Hadn't been baptized yet. Oh, yeah. Yoganon tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be immersed by you, and yet you come to me? Yeshua answered and said to him, Permit me, for so it is appropriate for both of us to fulfill the entire tzedakah. So he permitted him. He is supervising what is done, lending credibility and witness, and he's he's calling them to the mikvah, right? I don't know if his role necessarily was specifically in this valley throng of people coming to him, but traditionally the witness in a mikvah has to observe to make sure you did it right. Because when you dug yourself under, I don't know, you've ever been in a swimming pool, and you put yourself, if it's like a shallow end, you dug yourself under... Unless you think you went all the under. you think you went all the way under. Yeah, you your hair is floating on top, you know. So the witness's job is to say, "Not, not that way. Go back under again." <laughs> totally immersed. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Okay. Why does John object? To the mikvah. He must have realized. Even before the spirit, right? Exactly, that's what I was saying. Why is he calling you? There's no There's What are you doing here? Yeah. That's you've actually jumped. You act. You actually. Uh, you, you actually jumped down to my thing. You know, he doesn't have any sin. So what, what, does, what we want to look at tonight is, what does it signify? And I want to ask you, with John's last question, or Yeshua's last response, how does it fulfill all tzedakah, all righteousness, for him to do this? Don't skip it. Why does it fulfill righteousness to do this? And I hope we'll have an answer in just a little bit. Okay. Um, the Gospel of the Ebionites, by the way, 
changes the order of this text slightly so that John objects after the voice from heaven is heard. So he's got a reason to object now because now he knows who he is for sure. So it's not, maybe it's the leaping thing. The, the poor ones? No, 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 no. The Ebionites, um, they're, they're very much like the, uh, the Qumran guys, but they're not. They, yeah, it's a sect. And um, uh, they stay off to themselves and the whole deal and, and whatnot. So, regardless, they had a gospel version that changes the, the account. The, the bottom line is, why does he object? Does he object because he knows Yeshua has no sin? Or does he object because he realizes who it is? What? Why? Tell me. So this is backwards. Right, exactly. He's talked about the sandals. I'm not, I'm not fit to untie his sandals. I'm going to baptize you? Come on. What's, what are we doing? That's whole master-slave. Yeah, well. yeah. So now. Like, how can I be a teacher if you're the maker? Yeah. Exactly. But doesn't it remind you of when the master had his last Seder? For a while. For a while, by the way. It's not his last Seder. It's just his last Seder for a while. Wow. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Um, so when he had the last Seder, he washed the feet, right? right? And he's like saying, you know what? You want to be the master, you need to be the servant. So it's that same kind of play. I like that. But I, but I think it's cool that Yochanan is like, whoa, whoa, man. You know, I've been on her before, but you're in my water. Look at this. I mean... Yeah. He says, no, this is still important. Amen. So I want to know why it's important. What's the change of status for the Master? Could be. You wouldn't need to get a mikvah for that. I do too. I think what he's saying is, in our vernacular, there's a proper way to do things, and we're going to do it the proper way. So, since I agree with Chris, tell me, of what does Chris speak? What is it that needs to be done properly? I want you to be specific. Because if you get this, you got it. If you don't get this, you missed it. I can work that through again if you missed that. We haven't received the comment from his blood. So sure we did. Foundation of the world. How did Abraham get saved? Don't put God in time. That doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> Don't think about that for a while. <laughs> I think that a key element here is the idea of um, a washing prior to engaging in a 
significant spiritual activity. Examples that come okay. to mind yep. are mm-hmm. the priest before he goes into the yes. temple. Yes. He's got to wash himself. Like yes. You've got an example. Of, now, I know the argument would be, well, is Yeshua a priest or not? Even, even Mount Sinai. He God is a, says, he's a priest. He's just not a priest not of the Aaronic order. That's fine. But God says to Moses, tell all the people, all the men, immerse themselves, stay away from your wives for three days because we're going to meet on the mountain. The idea of an immersion taking place to cleanse yourself, it's practiced today. Yes. You go Jews on Shabbat, nothing to do with any ritual anything really, but they immerse themselves so that they are, in a sense, purified as much as they can be welcome the presence of the king. A physical purification. That's no, excellent. Also separated, like yes. You're set apart. Well, that's the difference. The guy outside the temple, the guy inside the temple. How'd you get in here? I went to the water. What were you going to say? Okay. It's the physical interaction. Exactly right. So I think the proper way to do things, if we look back, when a king was going to be put on the throne first you had an anointing by a prophet Eliyahu was Hanavi he was the prophet here's Yochanan in the spirit and power of Elijah and what's he doing he's anointing him with water but he's still doing something with our king This happened in the past. Samuel with Saul and David. Nathan with Shlomo, King Solomon. Right? Um, Yehu with uh, one of the prophets from uh, Elisha's school. I mean, it's, it's a regular deal. So, there's a proper way to do things, and we're going to do it right. So let's start out right here. Permit me so that we might fulfill all righteousness. Good. A little bit of a stretch. Mm -hmm. But I was trying to think of, this almost sounds like, let's do something that will summarize the whole Torah because the Torah describes righteousness. So I'm thinking, well, who? the only person to do that would be Yeshua where he says the, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. The next one is love your neighbor as yourself. Considering that those are summarizing commandments mm-hmm. of the entire thing, by him doing this and switching the roles, they, he would be essentially fulfilling both. They would be demonstrating both because John would be sh- walking out his, his love by obeying what Yeshua says to him. But then he would also, you know, the very fact that he wanted it to be flipped, he is showing that he wanted to love his neighbor as himself. That's cool. That's good. I like it. I like it. Any other comments? All right. Somebody read me the first verse of the first chapter of Ezekiel. You don't all have to turn. Just one of you turn and give that to me. What do you got? Ezekiel 1 1. In the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles of the Hebar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. In rabbinic writings, just as in the beginning of Echezkel, when we see the heavens opened, 
what are you going to get? You're going to get some kind of vision. It's, it's vision time. While coming up from the water, Yeshua prays, and while he was praying, heaven was opened. And at least Yochanan got a vision. Who saw the dove? Who saw the Spirit coming down like a dove? John, did the people see it? I don't think the people saw it. There's no evidence that the people saw it. Right? I think we're back in uh, Yochanan now, right? Where where are we? Did I miss it? Yeah, here we go. Yeah, of course. Yeah. When Yeshua was immersed, he quickly came up out of the water. Heaven was open to him, and he saw the spirit of God descending in the likeness of a dove, and it rested upon him. Then there was a voice from heaven saying, "This is my beloved son, in whom." I am well pleased. Well, we don't know if it's John. John 1, though, makes it pretty clear. I did not recognize him, but he used to make the baptized water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending. Yeah. That's why I thought we were going back to John here. Thirty-two. I beheld the Spirit in the likeness of a dove, descending from heaven and resting upon him. I did not know him, but the one who sent me to immerse in water said to me, The one on whom you see the Spirit descending and resting is the one that will immerse with the Holy Spirit I have seen, and I will testify that he is the Son of God. Amen. Does anybody know the blessing? I'm sorry? Well, they're standing next to one another. I mean, they're right there. The cone of silence, yes. Does anybody know the blessing when you go into the mikvah? Asher Kedushana B'mitzvotav V'tzivanu Regarding immersion in a mikvah. Amen! There it is, okay. Yes. Right. Luke chapter 3 and verse 21, I believe. We have the same kind of deal, right? When all the people were being immersed, Yeshua also being immersed. As he was praying, heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form as a dove. There was a voice from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am. Well pleased. Hayona. Hayona. Ha. The. Yona. Dove. Jonah means dove. The book of Jonah. It's the sign of the dove. It's the dove guy. Dove. I'd like to be named after a bar of soap. <clears throat> Yeah, really. All right, so I want you to talk to me now about what? Yeshua and Yochanan saw.
So I want you to hear it, right? I want you to hear it. There's a guy, and he's very loud. At times, he's annoyingly pointed. He's standing roughly thigh deep in the water. He looks weird. He, he may not, he may not, but he definitely looks weird. And he is wearing camel hair, which we know is the only, one of the only things you can wear when you get immersed. Because when you go into the mikvah, it's birthday suit, baby. It's you in the water. Nothing can come between you and the water. But Yochanan gets some modesty in that he has a camel hair coat. And the hair of an animal was considered to be just like your own and did not need to be taken off. So here's this modest man who happens to be a priest. And he is shouting out to do tshuva. And you know what? They didn't come there to do tshuva. They did tshuva, and then they came there. So they all show up, and they already know the message. And they all go in the water, one at a time. Step into the water, a little deeper than John. Want to make it easy? And you go down three times, and you're praying, and you come up. And I would imagine, I wasn't there, I just saw the movie, but I just imagine you got this strong priest putting his arm around you and blessing you as you walk back out of the water. So this guy, who's really not very attractive, comes up out of the crowd. John knows right away. And that's what the scriptures say, right? He was nothing to look at. We didn't esteem him. He's like a dry root. Wasn't a real handsome guy. He steps out of the crowd. Yochanan knows right away. Tries to beg him off. Yeshua steps close, and I believe he whispered that in John's ear. Permit it now that we might fulfill all tzedakah. What would you do? Argue with God? I mean, come on. He already knows. He pre-existed. He already knows he was at creation. What are you going to do? Argue? Come on. Yeah, right? (laughs) So... Yeshua goes into the water and he goes down the three times and when he comes up the third time the water is dripping off his beard and you can hear the water hitting the water off his beard. (coughs) And the heavens open up and you got two things going on. One, we got the voice of God. That doesn't happen very often. Big time. Last time we heard that, Sounded like thunder. Lots of thunder. Loud thunder. But now you got the Spirit descending in bodily form like a dove and resting upon Him. Tell me what that looks like. 
All right, I want you to close your eyes a second. Stop. Think. Okay, so now the Holy Spirit's coming down in bodily form like a dove. So now you've pictured in your mind. So now open your eyes and give me one adjective. One. We'll go around real quick. Don't think about it. Just give me one adjective. Glorious. 44 lens Direct. <laughs> Direct. Trinity. Peace. Light. Pure. What was that? White. White. Pure. Pure. Fantastic. Bright. Intense. Beautiful. Awesome. Yours? Noisy. (laughs) You can go online and read about territorial doves. They swoop down in a big time way. They don't do this little hang glider deal. That's not what doves do. Doves get territorial, territorial, and they bzzz, they're dive bombing down to somebody, and they just whap, and they'll smack you with the wing to let you know. I don't know what you're doing here, but this is my place. And when the when they come down, they flap their wings dramatically so that they don't hit them. <laughs> And off they go. That's how a dove comes down. It's windy. It's noisy. Now what does that remind you of? A rushing wind. Yeah. Yeah. And it rested upon him. And it stayed. How long did it stay? It didn't stay forever. I mean, he didn't walk out like a parrot on his shoulder. It doesn't say that. I just want you to change this whole, you know, with this nice, yeah, you know. I just think you're looking at a windy, rushing, noisy, flapping. This is big. This is not the swoop. And at the same time, you get the voice. So, yeah. So what does it remind you of? Now that you get the voice and you got this rush, rushing wind, well, to me, if you know how doves come down, that changes the picture a little bit. There's also some cool imagery here. Think of the power shower reading right now. And the idea of the dove being set up by, Mo, by Noah uh, on the water. Yeah, yeah. And he goes out, the dove goes out, finds the olive branch, the olive branch, Mishiach, and comes back um, to Noah to let him know God's salvation is coming. That's right. That's very cool. The sages only have two places where they talk about doves. The Holy Spirit and doves, the sages never bring them together. That's a whole Christian thing, right? So we get now the dove as, you know, the picture of Christianity and all that stuff. Bunch of crap. Never biblical. Not there. It's not there at all. And the sages never tie those together either. One time. Noah and... Yeah. I know I wrote it down here somewhere. Oh, yeah, here it is. Here it is. All right. Turn to uh, Isaiah 11.2. And then I'll read you Simon Benzoma's vision 
Isaiah 11.2. Isaiah 11.2. Anybody got it uh, in your Bible with the Hebrew? What's Isaiah 11.2 say? Johnny, would you read that to me? I don't have the Hebrew, but it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Oh. The Spirit of wisdom oh. and understanding. Oh. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear. You're not denying the fear of the Lord. So... So, the Spirit will rest upon him. Oh, man. Now, where do you think this Orthodox Jew got this concept of the dove deal? You think he made this up? No. The closest parallel that we find anywhere, by the way, um, the word for understanding, do you see understanding in that verse? Can anybody yes. tell me what's the uh, Hebrew for understanding? Joshua, you got it? Bina. 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 But you can change the way that it is pronounced because if you change it, it can be Biona. Same word, same letters. So the sages did that. On a dove. And Yona is dove. So you got dove and spirit, and you know, so they're playing with the with the vowel markings, right? But there are no vowel markings in the Torah scroll. So, well, you know, you know. All right. So, Simon Ben Zoma's vision of the Spirit of God hovering in the creation story. That's what he says. Remember? Remember? The Spirit of God yeah. is hovering, right? Well, what hovers? Wait a minute. Wait, we were just talking about John recognizing the dog before him. But that's where I'm going. Exactly. Exactly. He knows he was from the beginning. And now, Simon Benzoma, uh, this is what he wrote, a dove which hovers over her young without touching is just like the small distance between the waters below and the waters above and the spirit, like a yona, is hovering over the waters. That's cool. I mean, wow. You know, that's cool. Verse 1, it was a tube of the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Again, you pull that in with Noah. You got the dove bringing the branch with to Noah. How cool is this? How cool is this? How cool is this? All right. Now I'm going to read you. We're going to close with Genesis Rabbah 2.4. What's Genesis Rabbah? What's that? It's the great Midrash, right? And it's Midrash Rabbah on Genesis, right? So it's called Genesis Rabbah, right? So it's commentary. Here we go. You ready? Well, yeah. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Well, that's Genesis 1 too. This refers to the Spirit of Messiah, as you read Isaiah 11 too. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. What merit will cause him to come? Listen. What merit will cause him to come? John is describing the fact that he's come, right? What merit will cause him to come? He will come moving over the waters. Just, uh, which is to say, he will come in the merit of repentance, chufa, uh, which is likened to water, as it is written in Lamentations 2.19, pour out your heart like water. Now, 
Let me just see if you got Genesis Rabbah's description of Yeshua being in the mikvah, the gathering of waters, with Yochanan, right? So we got the dove. We've got that image of creation. We've got that whole flood of the waters with Noah. We've got Isaiah with the spirit of wisdom resting on him. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. This refers to the Spirit of Messiah. As you read, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. What merit will cause him to come? He will come moving over the waters, which is to say he will come in the merit of repentance, which is likened to water, as it is written, pour out your heart like water. Oh man, that's cool. Those sages were on to something. And it came to pass right there. It's easy to play Monday morning quarterback, but if you were to go with the description of the stages before you ever had a description of Yochanan in the Jordan, wearing these this hair and eating honey and, and and all that kind of stuff, I'm not sure I would have recognized it. Some people did. Some people did. Yeah. Well, John's two disciples followed him. So yeah, but that, that, was was that, that was after John said. All right. Yeah. This yeah. is the man. So it's John's testimony about him. Yeah, about I, I think that this. I think. Agree with you, but my point is, is I wouldn't have just yeah, recognized. Well, I, I don't. I think it's true. No one really recognized him then. But John did, and John, as you saw, John pieced together the creation, the dove, the water, the spirit, Isaiah, before repentance. I mean, he had it all. That's right. He was a man of the book. And shouldn't we be? Isn't that amazing? That's cool. Alright, so I just wanted to touch a little bit on on the guy. John the guy. That's right. Alright. Um, next time we get together, uh, maybe we can finish up that. We've got... Uh, you got next week? What do you got next week? Oh, yeah. Tell them what you're teaching on next week. But the interesting part about it is it's not what you think. It's not about the fact that that dress really looks cute on you, and I'm sorry, you just got to give it up. It's more complicated than that. I think you'd be very interested to find out how much detail the sages have pulled out of one verse in the Torah and what it means. And actually, Hebrew is more complex than you think, too. It's a good opportunity to learn about how we should be studying the Torah continuously Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to have that. And um, God willing and by His grace. Um, well, Johnny's got one coming. Uh, God willing and by His grace. We'll, uh, we'll talk next time about the voice. Because that's really cool. May it be your will, Ed and I are God. Let a mishap not come about through us. And may we not stumble in a matter of the Torah and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us. And may we not say regarding something which is Tameh that it is Tahor. And not regarding something which is Tahor that it is Tameh. And may our colleagues not stumble in a matter of Torah and we rejoice over them. For Adonai grants wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil our eyes that we may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. God bless you, man.